Hey there, I'm so pumped to tell you about an amazing new community I've launched called Grief to Growth Circle Community. It's a space for people who are grieving to come together to support each other and for people who want to know who we are, why we're here, where we're going to have those conversations, all the things we talk about on the podcast. So I invite you to join me at grieftogrowth.com slash community to become part of this compassionate crew. The best part is 100% free. And you have access to me in addition to everybody else in the community. In fact, the podcast will be there so you can talk about the things we talk about in the podcast right there in the community. There's also some premium content if you want to go deeper in the work I'm doing, but mostly it's about building relationships and community and about sharing resources and supporting each other. So come on over and check it out. It's grieftogrowth.com slash community. I'll see you inside. Hi there. Welcome to Grief to Growth Podcast. Your host is Brian Smith, spiritual seeker, best-selling author, grief survivor, and life coach. Brian believes that the worst tragedies of life provide the greatest opportunity for growth. Brian says he was planted, not buried, and he is here to help you grow where you've been planted by the difficulties in life. In each episode, Brian and his guests will share what has helped them to survive and thrive. It is his sincere hope this episode helps you today. Hi, everybody. I'm, uh, this is Brian back with another episode of Grief to Growth. And of course, I'm Brian Smith, your host. Uh, today, I've got with me Vanessa May. And Vanessa is from London in the UK. She's a holistic grief coach. She's a certified grief educator. She's a nutritional therapist. She's a well-being coach. And she's an author. She wrote a book that we're going to be discussing today called Love Untethered, How to Live When Your Child Dies. And she wrote that in part to make sense of her profound, profound sense of grief and trauma but also in hope that she can help others who experience a significant bereavement. Uh, she believes that life-changing loss can affect us on multiple levels, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. As well as being a memoir, Love Untethered also offers advice to those grieving based on her personal and professional experience. Her second book, Supporting Your Grieving Client, A Guide for Wellness Practitioners, will be published in February of next year. And she's also currently writing her third book, which will be a sequel to Love Untethered. Um, she wrote Love Untethered after the passing of her son, Harry. And by sharing her personal experience, she hopes to enable others who have gone through a similar loss to feel less isolated in the grief. In the second part of her book, she offers some ideas for supporting physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, using her experience not just as a bereaved mother, but also as a nutritional therapist, as a well-being coach, and a holistic grief coach and educator. So with that, I want to welcome to Grief to Growth, Vanessa May. Hello. Hi, Vanessa. It's really good to, to have you here today, a fellow Shining Light parent. And for people who don't know what that term means, you and I are both part of an organization called Helping Parents Heal. That's a term that we use for parents who have children who have passed in the spirit. So uh, I always like to start off with people when I'm talking to people who have gone through what I've gone through losing a child is to tell me about your son. Tell me about Harry. Well, Harry was just... Obviously, I'm going to say this, I'm his mum, but he was just a beautiful soul. He was very loving. He had a big heart. He was always helping other people, um, helping the underdog. And, yeah, I think he was a bit of an old soul. He was very sensitive, but he was also quite unconventional, a um, bit nonconformist, bit of a rebel sometimes. So... 
yeah he 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 was just lovely um not perfect because I think we have to be careful not to kind of idolize those we've lost um but he he was very special obviously to me but he had a big heart you know and I think that's so important he had a lot of love and that's yeah you know everything really isn't it so how old was Harry when he when he passed away he was 24 okay and um so tell me, tell me more about his life. Well, he, um, yeah, he, he was very creative. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, a musician. He went to university and he did music. And yeah, he loved life. He was funny. He liked to have fun. Um, didn't like school very much. Didn't like, you know, doing the hard work. But he was very bright. And yeah, as I say, you know, his teen teenage years, he wasn't easy, but we always had a close bond, a very close bond from the moment he was born. Um, and we also were very close just before he died. Um, he, yeah, he'd, he'd moved out from home um, and he was living in a flat, but I used to go over there and take him food because he didn't eat very well, didn't look after himself very well. I'm a nutritional therapist, so I was always taking him food. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, he he was just a, a lovely a lovely boy. Um, but I do believe he's still around me. I do very much feel him with me on a daily basis, mm-hmm. and that is a comfort. It doesn't make everything all right um, by any means, but. It's something, and I hang on to that. Yeah. Now, when you say he was an old soul, what indications did you get of him being an old soul? Oh, it's difficult, isn't it, to kind of put your finger on it. He just, he was a bit different. He was a bit, as I say, he was, and I think this is sometimes quite common with, you know, people who die young, that they kind of have a light about them, but they're not quite, you know your average person perhaps and he just felt like he might have been here a few times before mm-hmm. um and i feel definitely we probably had lifetimes together without a doubt um, yeah and- you know I, I i understand that i talked to a lot of parents who have children whose children have passed away early and it's interesting they always or almost always seem to indicate kind of like they're an old soul a lot of times they have like it seems like a real zest for life it's like they yeah. know they're not going to be here long so they kind of live full out and exactly really that. worry about tomorrow so was that was that kind of things you got from harry yeah absolutely i mean he lived life to the full he had a good time <laughs> um yeah i i think I, I mean, I remember when he was a little boy, he used to climb to the top of the tallest tree. He was quite fearless. And weirdly, I didn't worry. I just kind of thought he'd be all right. But I also, as he got towards the end of his life, I started to become what I felt was quite irrationally worried about his safety. Um, and but. Yeah, I, I early on, I just he was quite fearless. He just had, he was just a lovely, he was just a lovely person, really. Um, yeah. And he yeah. still is. He still is. 
So you said toward the end of his life, you've got kind of an irrational fear. Do you think maybe that was a knowing that you had that it might not be too much longer? Yeah, definitely. I had a sense that I wouldn't have him for long. I always think I couldn't visualize him getting married, having kids in the way that I can for my daughter. And I couldn't put my finger on it, but part of me started to think, yeah, there was a sense. So, I mean, in hindsight, obviously we see things, don't we? But, but I definitely had a sense. And I'd say to people, you know, oh, we could be lying dead in his flat for all, for all I know. And people would kind of think, well, that's a bit weird. So I was, even though I don't, I don't consider myself particularly psychic, but I ha- I was slightly getting a sense as if I was being slightly prepared, not totally because it's still an enormous shock mm-hmm. um but yeah i think probably a, a lot of parents do who lose a child they have a bit of a sense sometimes stay with us we'll be right back hey there i'm testing out a new feature i'd love to get your feedback on it it's called fan mail and you can send me a message right from the show notes of the podcast. So look for the link that says, send me a text. You can ask a question for a future podcast. You can suggest a guest or just give me any feedback you want. Just remember it is one way I can't text you back and I will not have your name, your email address or your phone number unless you include it in the message. Let me know what you think. So looking back on it now, do you believe, uh, have you any indications of maybe soul planning? Have you thought about that or what are, what yeah. are your thoughts on that? Okay. Yeah, definitely. I, in the first year, and I, t- I talk about it in Love Untethered, I saw three mediums in the, in the first year and they helped enormously. And the first one I saw fairly soon after he died and she said, well, he was never going to be here for long. And I was like, no, he wasn't. No, I, it was like a realization. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I very much feel that we had planned this together as a family. That for whatever reasons that I don't fully understand, that I agreed to this this pain and suffering that I was going to I was going to grow out of, much as I'd rather not, in many ways. And I think he came here, he did what he needed to do, and he was, yeah, just never going to be here for long. And But he's still with us. I feel him. I can feel him now. He does this on the side of my head. Hmm. Okay. And if you had other, you mentioned that that communication from him. Have you had other communications from him also? Yeah. I mean, quite a lot. The main one is I do feel him on the side of my, my head. Hmm. Um, the usual things feathers um one birthday i think it was the second birthday i said harry i I want can you give me a sign today and not just a random feather and we were walking through the park and there was um a, a bush and it was literally covered with feathers and then coming away from this bush there were feathers all along the path. <laughs> and I literally said to him, and not just a random feather. <laughs> and, and he gave me that. And I thought he was going, see, mom? Because <laughs> yeah. he did have a very good sense of humor. So I, 
that was that was a good one but I don't think I wrote about that in the book because I think that was in the second year but yeah I mean he he plays with lights he had as is seems to be usual um he, we don't get these sort of signs as much as we did now we know that he's around but a, he would play with my phone um go back to emails from six years ago and in fact there was one it my phone just just malfunctioned and just scrolled back and it stopped at uh, an email from him and being a teenage boy he didn't email me very often and it just said lost kiss 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 and I thought what what's this and it was a link that you know the television series lost and we used to watch that together and I never understood it and 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 he had sent me this link, obviously, which I'd forgotten about. And I clicked on it and was explaining in a in a YouTube video in about five minutes the meaning of lost. Hmm. And then it got to the part where Jack, the main character, uh, I think he dies. I can't quite remember now. But he goes to the waiting room and his father's there waiting for him. And he realizes that all the time, I think, if I remember rightly, that he's hmm. he's been dead. But there his father is in this waiting room in heaven or whatever and I just took that to be a sign that Harry was saying I will be waiting for you Mm -hmm. I will be and early in grief that was really important to me because now I'd go well yeah of course he's going to be waiting for me but then I when I was searching and trying to understand that was enormously comforting so that was a, a a very good um little bit of interference with my phone but lights is another thing he was doing and mm-hmm. my daughter's um spotify account he would uh play his because he was a musician so he'd play his own song she'd be like i haven't i haven't played that um yeah so we've had a few signs but yeah. i think you know as you get beyond that first year you perhaps don't need them as much um but of course there's always the issue of people around us thinking it's wishful thinking and we're putting two together two and two together and making five and but that's what I believe and it helps me and I think it helps a lot of people so yeah you know the interesting thing about signs is we tend to talk ourselves out of them most of us not all of us but we tend to talk ourselves out of them and it certainly doesn't help when other people start trying to talk us talk them out of, us out of them as well. So what I tell the clients that I work with when they say to me, is this a sign? I'm like, if you think it's a sign, it's a sign. And if you know that someone's going to shoot it down, then don't share it with them. Don't let them take that away from you. Um, yeah. Now, again, I'm a rational person. I'm an engineer. So I will calculate the odds about stuff, you know, because things, coincidences, you know. And most of these things that we get and, and that people tell me that the, the odds are just they're they're incalculable. They're they're astronomical. But people will still say it's a coincidence. But we all know that we have these synchronicities in life. We 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 see them all the time where someone just happens to call you at the right time or you you say something and then something happens later. And that I think that's just the way life is, and we just refuse to believe it because we've been taught that the universe is totally mechanical. Um, so yeah. when you share your signs with me, I'm like, yeah, I, I believe you 100% because I've seen, I've seen too much of it. And what and other people think people don't realize is that, like, I think it's 70% of people who have lost a spouse 
say they've had a sign from from their spouse, it's super, super high. Um, it's a yeah. lot higher than people realize. And I think it's 75% of bereaved parents, isn't it? It's somewhere that, that yeah. in my head, but it's yeah. a lot. It's it's higher than you'd think. It is. And it's not just, it's, again, it's not just wishful thinking because I know a lot of times people I've talked to, the people that don't believe in science, they're, mm. they'll, they'll come up to me and say, um, this happened to me. Am, am I crazy? Because, you know, it's happened to me three times after, you know, someone passed away. And I'm like, no, they're, they're communicating with you. Yeah. I think so. But as I say, the the this thing he does touching, it's just a, a sensation. That's my sort of everyday sign from him now. Mm-hmm. That it's kind of like, I'm here, man. I'm here. And I talk to him all the time. Mm-hmm. And it comforts me. And it, 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 it helps. And that's really the bottom line, I think. Yeah. If anyone wants to doubt any of the signs or anything I believe, just let me have it because it helps me and it gets me through. Yeah. As it does many yeah. of this. I do I do want to take a moment just that so you talk about him I'm touching the side of your head because people might say, Well, how do you know that that's a sign from him? And I've heard a tip that people can do if they want to get a sign from a loved one. It's like if you sit like in meditation, sit very quietly and think about your loved one and just feel your body, feel your body sensations. And a lot of times they'll start to develop a pattern that someone Touching you here is is your son, and I've heard people even say like, "Well, my grandmother touches me on my right shoulder, and my son touches me on my left shoulder, and another person touches me here." And so you can learn, and they can kind of show you like which sign is for which person. So, yeah, that's um, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, so I just wanted to, for people that are saying, "How does she know that?" You, we can all do that ourselves. Like, think about your loved one, and just really feel. It's usually very subtle. The, the feeling you get is usually very subtle, but it'll come. Yeah, I, I think so. Another thing I, I get, but I get it less frequently, but I think it's quite common, is I'll just sort of get shivers, but only one side of my body, and it's always the right side. Mm-hmm. So again, I think that's Harry, because it's it's just one side. And you know, if you're cold, you shiver on, you know, everywhere, don't you? But right. this is very specifically the right side. Um but that's less frequent. So I, I've, and I, I, it's just, I have this feeling that he's on that side, but yeah, I think you have to ask. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, that's, that's, it's like we develop our own language with our loved one. For everybody, it's different because people ask me like, what signs like from Shana? How do I feel Shana? And it's like, you develop your own dialogue with that, with that person. So people, it can't, it's not going to be like, well, you know, her son touches her here, so my son's going to touch me here. That's that's not the way it is. It's always a little bit different. And um, yeah. my wife was sitting in meditation, and she would think about my daughter, and she would see like the color purple, like but with her eyes closed, right? So just kind of a feeling of the color purple, and her heart would start to speed up a little bit, and mm. she's like, "I wonder if that's coming from from my daughter." So, you know, you talked about mediums earlier. We had a medium, a friend who's a medium. And she called up and she said, Shana says, you have a question for me, just out of the blue. And my wife goes, no. She goes, no, Shana's saying that you you have a question for me. And, and she and she gave her some evidence that was from Shana. She asked her if she'd been sitting with mala beads and she'd just been sitting with mala beads. So that was a sign it was from Shana. And my wife said, you know, I asked her, she said, well, yeah, the, I do have a question for her. When I'm sitting in meditation, sometimes I get this, this feeling, you know, I, I see the color purple and my heart speeds up and... Through the medium, Shana said, yes, that's me. So now my wife knows 
that that's one of the signs that she gets from Shayna and it was validated yeah. by this other person. So uh, just, just another example of how they, they communicate with us and they, they're still in our lives. Yeah. And I think actually mediums are great for confirming what you already know. Yeah. Yeah. Cause sometimes people go to mediums because they, they just want information, communication from their loved ones. But some of us are actually just wanting what we are, but perhaps not, and then we have it confirmed. And I think that's an, an, another important role mediums can play is just confirming what we already know. Yeah, that's an excellent point. You know, we, we need to learn to trust ourselves, but it takes a while. Yeah. And it's, it's sometimes it good to have, to have that validation that, yeah. And I've had, again, stuff has happened around here. Like Shana would mess with my computer and then I'd have a read of the medium. She's, and they're like, Shana says she messes with the computer. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> now I know that was her. And then I'd say, well, stop. Because one time she actually broke it. It didn't work for about a week. And oh I was like, I was calling the repair guy. He goes, I think you have to buy a new computer. I'm like, well, this doesn't make any sense. And then it just started working again. And like, it was never broken. And I talked to the repair guy. He goes, I don't have any idea what happened, but, um, I, I, I'm convinced that that was my daughter. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi there. I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near-death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. I've been studying NDEs for several years now. I am completely convinced that not only are they 100% real, but that there's some very universal wisdom that we can get from the near-death experience. And I've distilled that down in this book into four short lessons. And I've also given you all the reasons why I believe the NDEs are absolutely real. So go to www.grieftogrowth.com slash NDE lessons to pick it up for free www.grief2growth.com slash NDE lessons. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, well, it was like my phone suddenly just randomly scrolling through the emails Mm -hmm. six years ago. And I think, you you know, they're going to be, they they were here and good with technology. So those, those skills, perhaps they can manipulate from the other side fairly easily whereas somebody who died a hundred years ago i don't know maybe they they won't be able to do that quite so readily who knows yeah and that's that you know brings up another interesting point Um, i'm on the soul phone project which i'm not sure if you have heard of it or not but we're yeah technology to to communicate with the other side and we found out that there are better communicators and worse communicators even with this highly specialized technology some people on the other side are really, really good, and some people are not so great. So the thing about our loved ones in spirit, we'll, we'll listen to other people say, I've got a sign, and it's like this. And people will say, well, why didn't my loved one do that? Well, it may be that they can't. You know, Maybe they haven't learned that skill yet. Um, it's It seems to not be as easy as we think it is. It's not like picking up the phone and just dialing it. I think the soul phone um, project sounds really interesting. I, I'm... Uh, yeah, I'll be very interested to see how that all comes about and whether in five years time it, it'll be available for us to use. It would be incredible. Obviously, you know more about it than I do. Yeah, it it, it, will, it will be. You know, what I've learned, though, by talking to people like yourself and talking to other people who have, you know, spirit communication with, other, with our loved ones, we've got a lot more communication now than most, most people realize, you know. We've got a whole lot of communication right now 
Um, again, through through dream visits, you know, people need to learn to trust their yeah. dreams through through mediums, yeah. through these these signs that we get, the synchronicities that we get. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff going on back and forth. You you said you talk to Harry, you know, talk to your I talk yeah. to Shana literally every day, you know, and it's not just me too. wishful thinking. I mean, I know she hears me. Yeah. Yeah. And and they they talk back as in. I feel that I'll get answers, mm-hmm. um, not outside my head, but inside my head. And you could argue, well, that's just your intuition or that's just, well, I don't think it matters. You know, I don't think it matters at the end of the day. It's whatever helps. Um, but yeah, I've had a couple of dream visitations, never enough. Wish I could have more, yeah. but they're very vivid when they come. I had one which was beautiful and that was him hugging me. And I felt it was like a full body experience, like no hug. He was a big hugger, but this was like no hug I'd ever experienced. It was incredible. And I woke up and I felt euphoric and absolutely devastated at the same time, you know, because I felt the connection, but it wasn't, you know, visceral. Yeah. Well, no, I, I just saw something. I think it was yesterday. You said, if you remember your dream, that means there's there's a message in it because most of our dreams we mm. don't remember and we don't always know how to interpret the message, but there's some sort of a message. And what you just said is really important for people to understand that a dream visit, it's it is, as you said, it's it's very it's visceral. You wake up, I, I've had them and I wake up literally crying. You know, it's like you you come out of it and you're like, you know, there was something different, you know, there was a connection there. You're right, it's never enough, it's never long enough. It's just a it's a little reminder that they're still yeah. with us. Yeah, absolutely. So you, uh, Harry passed away, you said it's about three years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the book is your first year of grief, which is, well, you tell me what the first year was like. Well, I think you you probably know. Um, obviously, there'll be similarities with, with every parent who loses a child. It, it it was just the shock, the trauma, the devastation was unbearable. Um, and I I was very traumatized and I was later diagnosed with PTSD. And I went to a bereavement counselor, first of all, because I, I thought being a coach, as you will know, you're kind of like, okay. What am I going to do? How do I move through this? How do I go forward? What you, you just want to? You're a, a bit of a do. Well, I'm a bit of a doer, and I thought, okay, not how, not to the extent where I go. How do I fix this? Because I already knew that wasn't going to happen. But it's like, how can I make it better? How can I? What can I do? Um, so I thought about seeing a medium, and I thought about finding a bereavement counselor, mm-hmm. and I kind of almost naively thought, oh, this this will help, and. It just really didn't. Um, and I just felt that I was sitting and stewing in my grief and and I was being asked sort of questionnaire type questions such as, you know, on a scale of one to ten, um, how is your social life? And and I was just <laughs> gobsmacked thinking, are you serious? Mm. So I, there was just a disconnect. And I thought, and, you know, the, the counsellor, I didn't have that many sessions. I mean, she was really kind but it just didn't 
tick the boxes I needed it to. And I thought, well, I, if I want to chat about things, talk things through, I've got friends for that. Uh, and I, I just didn't feel it was helpful. I felt I needed something more proactive. And that's where the coaching side, I think, comes in. Just And I, and then I, I searched around for other people who might help. Um, that was also unsuccessful. I found compassionate friends. That was better because you go into the group as you you may know and 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 you see in early grief you see the bereaved parents further along the line who have kind of got dressed wash their hair are just there and and that feels like an achievement in early grief and you think okay okay look they're examples maybe I can survive this because I think in early grief you think I can't survive this I certainly thought I'll never this is this is it for me this is too much my bond with my son is so great. I, I won't survive this. And then I I think I was writing emails with a friend and she said, you put it, I, you make it really clear what you're feeling. Why don't you write it down, journal it? Or maybe you think about writing a book, just write. And so I thought, well, yeah, maybe I, that's a, that's a, way of me processing it so I started to write and then I I think it was about five weeks after Harry had died there there was a David Kessler because I was busy searching David Kessler inevitably came up and he was doing a writing through loss and trauma course it was just a short course and I thought oh I'll do that obviously it was online and that really helped and that made me think you know I I'm going to do this, and it was my it was my way through early grief was just writing it down and and after obviously I I went back and wrote about um around when he died and before he died and around that early few weeks and then I pretty much wrote in real time, then I pretty much wrote as it was happening, and so it was my therapy. So writing was my therapy, and. And then as the time as time went on, uh, I I thought, well, because I couldn't I, I was incapable of working at the time. I, I kind of lost my all my clients, my nutritional therapy and coaching clients. And then I thought, I don't how can I ever go back to that? I'm an entirely different person. And then it started to occur to me, well, how how can I use what might the skills I've got um, to help other people in my situation? And if I didn't find the help I needed. And of course, I'm in the UK. It might be very different where you are. There may be better grief counsellors for bereaved parents, particularly. But I didn't find one. And I just thought, well, maybe I can maybe I can help others. And as we know, often our way through grief is is to find meaning and purpose to make sense of our grief by helping others and so the writing of the book made me think I might be able to do this and I thought well why don't I have a section of the book where I talk about the physical aspects of grief because I I had no idea that I would shake for 48 hours from the shock that my heart felt like I was going to have a heart attack it was just beating so fast that I wouldn't sleep for three whole weeks. These physical aspects of grief, feeling nauseous, thinking I was going to be sick, not being able to eat. Not everyone has all of these mm-hmm. uh, physical symptoms because they're symptoms of shock and trauma. 
And, uh, you know, not every loss is tra traumatic and not everyone, even if it is traumatic, has that um, that experience. But I did. And so I knew other people might do. And I thought, well, this isn't really talked about. And when you go to bereavement counsellor, they certainly don't say, and what physical symptoms have you had? And I thought, well, my background, you know, I've got a degree in nutritional medicine. I, I And it just, I thought, grief is the biggest stress you can ever go through and I was I've been dealing with a lot of stressed people a lot of stressed clients and I thought well this is just the far end of the scale mm -hmm. so I've got the skill set to help people with their diet through supplements lifestyle and then the coaching um, and then I thought I, I did a few courses in grief and also it'd been part of my training for my coaching anyway but also had my own experience of grief, which I felt was lived experience was valuable as well. And then later I, I did um, David Kessler's grief uh, educator certification. But so, yeah, so that's what I did. So the, the, the last part of the book is the practical side of things that might be able to help you. So it goes from physical support to things you might try like Reiki or, um, ways you can continuing bonds I talk about honoring the person you've lost various ways of um, grief yoga just people in early grief probably haven't discovered these things yet and I thought I'll just put it all in one place mm -hmm. I think we do discover these things as we go along so they wouldn't be new to you for example but people in early grief you do feel completely at sea you literally don't know what's happening. And, and I think a lot of us are just thinking, what am I meant to do? How do I make this better? We don't make it better, but you can soften it and you can ease some of the suffering by being proactive. And so I do believe you sometimes have to sit with the grief and just feel it and like purge the pain. And then there's also a place for going, okay, now I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to plant some bulbs that will come up in the spring that will remind me that life does continue. I'll get my hands in the soil. I'll, you know, I'll look up at the sky and see how vast it is and be reminded of my place in the world. So all these things that we discover as we go along. And I just wanted to, you know, help the people coming up behind me, mm -hmm. really. Um so, yeah, and 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 then I, I also talk about physical, the emotion, but also the spiritual, because that is one way. I think losing someone you love dearly, we know the detrimental effects on the body and the emotions and the mind. But the positive is you do you do have soul growth or the potential is there you can still have your child or the person you've lost. You still have that bond. And that does, you know, energy, love doesn't die. Um, so uh, that that's the thing that I think is, I don't want to call it the positive of grief, but it, it's it's one part of grief that kind of, I don't know how to put it really, just can give you a little bit of understanding because you start to question what what's it all about mm -hmm. um and while you have to look after yourself physically emotionally 
then you can explore finding your child wherever they are or the person you've lost, whoever it might be, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So I, I'm curious, when you went to the bereavement council, the first one you went to, what do you think was missing there? I think it's, it's difficult to say because I, I don't want to criticize her. No. She's a perfectly nice yeah. person, but I don't know if she dealt with a bereaved mother before, but one who was literally on the floor in tears, not literally on the floor, but just absolutely mm-hmm. distraught. And I don't think she knew what to do with it. And I also sometimes think with counseling, it's a little bit passive. And that didn't suit me. And I basically, I just wanted a bereaved mother who happened to be a counsellor who'd go, I know how this feels. It was the not, I felt she didn't really get what, how bad, how huge this was. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, but that's, that's my perspective. I'm not saying every counsellor or every, it, it, that was just no, my. No, I, my I, yeah, I was, I was asking for you, for your perspective mm. and i think you know what you said there because i went to a grief counselor too um and i went about three times mm-hmm. and nothing at all wrong with this guy first of all i've done a lot of grief training and i found that the grief counseling generally doesn't work <laughs> it's I- ironical when they've done studies it generally doesn't work doesn't mean it's not good that's but it's just not for everybody so like if your grandmother dies going to grief counselors probably not necessary and probably not going to help um, yeah. But what I have found, and I took David's course, you and I, I think, took it this, at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and David talked about this himself because he was a grief counselor before his son passed away. And one of the things he teaches in his course is people in grief need to be witnessed. They need yes. to have a grief witness. And other people can kind of witness our grief, but nobody like who's been through what we've been through. And I think, yeah. I, I, and I'm not to put words in your mouth, but I think that's one of the things that's missing with a lot of grief counselors because they're they're pulling out their books, they're doing their survey, they're putting you on a chart, they're saying she's at an eight here, she's a seven here, this is the stage of grief she's in. Um, yeah. And then a lot of them are very reluctant to talk about what I have found to be the most helpful thing, which is the continuing bonds. Yeah. Well, on our, our course in the summer, how many therapists and counselors were on there? And I, I thought that really made it fairly clear that they needed more tra- they felt they needed more training in grief and they hadn't got it. I, I thought that said it all really. Yeah. Um yeah, that, yeah. I remember there was a, a young girl in particular that was in the course and you could tell she was just fresh out of like, you know, she was she was in a in a professional role. She was in a job where she was doing, you know, uh psychotherapy, or whatever, but She's just asking, you know, you could tell she's just, she's been, she'd been trained in traditional school, which doesn't teach you how to deal with real grief. It, and it doesn't teach, like I said, I think, because we go through the different models, you know, and we talked about how Freud had done this stuff and all that. And it's like, yeah, if you don't acknowledge the spirit, I mean, you talked about the physical, the mental, the emotional aspect, but if you ignore the spiritual aspect of of, of grief, I think that's where traditional grief counseling just doesn't work um yeah what well, yeah i agree although if you remember david did kind of say uh if people ask you about your belief 
you say, well, I'm more interested in yours and you deflect away. And he sort of kind of said, he warned us slightly off going too much in that direction. And I just thought, well, if I, because I do, and I'm sure you do as well, but I, I work with people who are grieving and they don't have a spiritual belief and I don't go there and I can work with them perfectly well without going there. Um, I certainly don't impose my feelings, but if I see a little bit of interest, I will talk about it and see where it goes. I'm very mindful of, of, you know, what they might need or not need. Yeah. It's interesting because I've worked with David Kessler and I work with uh, Dr. Terry Daniel, who's a, she's a, I guess you'd call her a thanatologist. She's got her PhD and she's, she's worked hospice and she's a chaplain and she, she is a professional chaplain and they tell the chaplains, you know, don't impose your beliefs on people. So that's, that's the training. We're not, we're never here to impose our beliefs on anybody, but I was, I was working with her one time and I said, you know, but your job is to comfort people. Right. And she said, yes. I'm like, so if people, for example, believe that their loved ones, are in eternal hell because of their religious beliefs, or they believe that they're going to eternal hell because of their religious beliefs. Aren't you trying to persuade them when you say, you know, you're walking through this? So I, I guess for me, because I came at this the other way, I came at it from experience and I've gotten the training and on the back end. I'm never here to impose my beliefs on anybody. But what I tell people is what I believe, I don't even like the word believe. It's a rational understanding. It's it's what science and philosophy, and metaphysics, and quantum physics, mm-hmm. and experience, near-death experiences, mediums yeah. that have been studied. It's yeah. where all the evidence points. It's not. It's not a religious belief. I don't. It's my belief is not religious at all. It's. No. It's not. I, and I don't even like the word spiritual because spiritual implies something supernatural. And I yeah. would say to people, there there is no supernatural. There's only what we don't understand yet. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I and I you and you mentioned compassionate friends, and I never pick on anybody else's organization. So I know a lot of people love compassionate friends, and I think that organization is evolving. But one big difference between them and helping parents heal has been we encourage continuing bonds. Yes, we encourage signs, dreams. If you want to go, see, we don't push people to see mediums, but if you want to see a medium, we certainly don't shame people, and we let people talk about all those experiences. Whereas they kind of, at least at one point, would discourage that. Say, we don't mm. talk about signs, for example, in our meetings. And, and I think they do that for, because they don't want to offend people who don't believe that. But, I, well, thank God for helping parents heal. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. we have them or have you. Um, if If we do have that belief and we want to be able to share it without kind of feeling we have to suppress it. Um, but I think, yeah, that going back to what you said about the counselor I saw, I I wouldn't have opened up about the spiritual side of things, science, whatever we want to call it, mm-hmm. because I, I just wouldn't have felt that she would have got it. In fact, I did. Open, I right. saw another later and, and she really was kind of like a little bit patronizing towards me. And I thought, no. And, and that's that really puts you off but then interestingly just recently I've done some EMDR Mm. sessions uh because of the PTSD and and I it was quite interesting because I first of all I had to relive the trauma and it was absolutely horrendous and then I started to go back to um 
when we found Harry's body and instead of the uh, how devastating it was I would I could sort of step back a bit mm-hmm. and I saw Harry's soul rise out of his body as a being of light mm-hmm. come over to me put his hands on my heart mm. cross the room do the same to his dad and as I was seeing this I, I thought, well, I'm 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 just going to say it to to the trauma therapist. I'm I'm, I'm just going to say it. So I, I told her what I saw, and I thought she'd and I and I actually this shows. I mean, this was me. I just said it probably just is my brain. It's, it's my brain's way of trying to process it. So I think it's it's all good, you know. And she she said that's amazing. That's and then she started telling me about her own signs how she saw feathers, how she had this belief in the afterlife. And I thought, oh, my God, I, it was such a relief mm-hmm. and so refreshing, really, that I'd found someone. And she was so excited that I'd had this experience. And I was ready to kind of dress it up as my brain. And right. it could be that it's just my brain finding a way for me to deal with this terrible event of finding my son's body. So that's how I'd sort of put it. And she'd then gone back, no, this is amazing. And, um, that, and it was as, incredible, right? Yeah, it is incredible. And as we're having this conversation, I interviewed someone a couple of days ago and hasn't been released yet, but she's a she's a psychotherapist and she calls herself a transpersonal psychotherapist. And she deals with the whole thing, the holistic, the mind, body, soul, spirit, you know, everything like that. And she said, this wasn't in the recording, which she said after we got done, she said, you know, a lot of these therapists have, she called it a colonized mindset, which I hadn't heard that or applied to that before. But what you're saying is, and what we say when we say, I don't want to impose my beliefs on somebody, was we're saying is, I'm going to restrict my my approach to a materialistic approach, to this yeah. Western materialistic approach. We're not going to talk about that. But that would be like a, a, a doctor saying, I'm not going to talk about, I don't know, radiation therapy or chemotherapy or something because people might not believe in it. I mean, it's proven science. And and this is my mission in life. And I'm really passionate about it is to break out of that and to normalize the experience that you had. Because when when I hear you tell that experience and you're right, when you're going through an EMDR session, it's your brain, you know, processing stuff. But it reminds me of people that have had near death experiences that said. I lifted up out of my body. I went over to my mother. I put my arms around her. I went over to my father. I put my arms around him. Um, Elizabeth Bassan, the founder of Helping Parents Heal, the organization we're talking about, was on the phone with her son, Morgan, when he passed away at the base of Mount mm-hmm. Everest. And she said, I felt a hug from the inside. So what you just said aligns perfectly with that experience that she had. And I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm here to normalize that. Thank you. And you're braver than me because you see, I I I had to dress it up as something else, even though in my heart I thought, oh, thanks, Harry, for coming through in that way and 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 showing me that, showing me what happened. Um but yeah, because we still le- live in this sort of society which not only is grief averse, but is also afterlife averse, for want of a better mm-hmm. way of putting it. Or mm-hmm. You would phrase it, but yeah, thank you for being brave and braver than me. Well, um, I, 
what I hear when you just said that, that experience that you had in the EMDR, EMDR session is so healing, you know, just yes. from a practical perspective. To, and, and I love the language you use because language, I think, is really important. You said when we found Harry's body, not when we found Harry, because a lot of people identify their loved one with their body. And that's where the trauma yes. comes in, where it's like, you know, what was there? What was what happened to their body? What did we do with their body? And I like, for example, we had Shana's body cremated. And I always I always use that language. I never say we had Shana cremated because you don't cremate people. We don't bury people. We, no. we bury bodies. I, I agree. And I think I, I as soon as I saw Harry's body, I was like, well, where where is he? He's not here. That's and I had this realization that I can't quite put into words where I just knew he was somewhere and it wasn't in that shell. Mm-hmm. I, I I immediately knew. But it's just how do I find him? Right. How do I find him? And I the reason I've called the book Love. Of untethered is because at first I thought I've got all this love for him. Where's it going to go? Where's it going to go now? I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And I very quickly realized well, I just carry on sending it to him. Right. I've got a place to go. It's not untethered at all. You know, it's not free flowing. Oh, where's it going to go? It, it, it's it's just I, I still give it to him, and he gives it back to me. So love doesn't die. Um, but I knew as soon as I saw his body that I was going to have to find him. I didn't know how. It wasn't perhaps quite that obvious a thought, but it, it was right. I was deeply in shock. But somehow I knew that was just his shell. It was so clear to me. And then so, it, 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 What were your beliefs about that before Harry passed? What were your beliefs about? afterlife or had you thought much about it or where were you on that yeah i mean i think i was always sort of slightly yeah no i i i did i hadn't been well i hadn't lost anyone Mm -hmm. i mean you know i'd lost grandparents but i hadn't had so i hadn't needed to question it very much Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. i think i i would occasionally stop and, and think well this can't be everything. I wonder what it's all about. It won't just be this. But I didn't really question too deeply. Um, I was always on the sort of alternative side. You know, I discovered Louise Hay in my 20s. And mm. um, so, yeah, I, but it was just the, the most terrible thing that had ever happened to me. and that opened me up to questioning and seeking answers i i wanted to problem solve which obviously you can't do but i've learned so much and that would be one thing i would say that i've just learned so much and i've opened up to another sort of level um of experience but if you said I'd rather go back to sleep and have Harry back. But that's not how my life is. And I don't have that choice. And if if it was um, a sole plan, then, you know, just got to get on with it. 
that's a really interesting question that I, well, a lot of us parents ask, right? Because we we talk about, and I just had this conversation with my, my wife the other day because we were talking with friends about our daughter passing away, and most of us say, "Yes, I've learned so much, I've grown so much," but we feel like we always have to follow up with, "I would, I would trade it all back in to have my my loved one back." We we, we follow up with that. And it, it, to me, it's it's a question that I I turn over my mind a lot. I think the truth is, on some level, because we did plan this, that we knew it would be worth it, and we knew that. But our, from our human aspect of it, if we stay in our humanity, we say it's not. So we're we're like these dualistic creatures. I, you know, where it's like yeah, I, yeah. There's our human it's self and there's our self. Yeah. 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 And that the fact is we have to live in the real world. We have to earn a living. We have to go to the shops. We have to cook. We have to clean the house. We live on where this is earth school, as we know. But so we have to be practical as well. Mm-hmm. And we have this is what we've signed up for. But it's painful. And that's I, I think I, I do feel I probably took on too much. And there are other losses and there are other things that come along in life that compound the pain Mm -hmm. so you know it's it's hard i find i find this life very hard so i can't dress and go oh i i now i I connect with my son and it's all wonderful because it really isn't um aspects of it are amazing but most of it is just very difficult but then of course you're further down the line i'm only in the third year Mm -hmm. I, I love I love the fact in your book, and I and you you talk about in the bio you sent me. You said it's not about toxic positivity because I'm not here to dress everything up and say it's it's all good either. Because we do live in this world, even though we are still in the other world as well. We did we did I believe we did plan this, but maybe we didn't know how difficult it was going to be. You and I yeah. talked right before we started recording about a post I made a little while ago because I talked to hundreds of parents. And almost universally, when we talk about reincarnation, they all say, I'm never going to do this again. <laughs> so you, you can tell how how you how you reacted to that. Yeah, I I just <laughs> I really don't want to come back. I want this to be my last time. I'm I'm hoping that I'm cramming a lot in. Um, and Buddha said you learn more through suffering than from joy and I don't know how I feel about that, but I feel like I've had a lot of suffering one way or another. And if I can find meaning, find purpose from it so that when I see Harry and my other loved ones, I they go, well done. <laughs> we know how hard that was for you. Well done. And, that, and, and, and I think I would rather and I. I've put this out there. I'd like to help from the other side. I feel if part of my purpose now is to help others, well, I'll do it for a few years, but then I'd like to help from the other side. Mm-hmm. And I know the growth, you say the growth is slower that way, but coming here, it speeds up your soul growth. Mm-hmm. And that um, losing a child really speeds up your soul growth mm-hmm. um, because it's such a big thing. But that, but. I don't know. You're further down the line, so it may be a time thing. Not that I like that the whole time heals uh, phrase, but 
we do know that it sh- it shape shifts. Grief does change its shape, it does. and it does. It, it, and I, I am I am further down the line in terms of years. As I like what you also said, though, it's not about time because I've seen people. I'm I'm eight years in, seven and a half years in, and I've seen people 10, 15, 20 years in still still bitter, yeah. still where they were the day. So time does not heal. That's that is a myth. Um, it takes time to heal, but time doesn't heal itself. And and I'm not saying that I'm ready to come back either. Right? And I'm not saying this life is easy because most days there's at least a couple of times a day. I'm like, why am I here? So I'm still there at, at eight years. And I and I put that out there to people. I'm not here to tell people that everything is great. But again, I've turned this thought over my head so many times and, I, and I've talked to parents and I, I think about what other things do our li- in our life do we do that we say, I'm never going to do this again. And then we do it again. Women that have babies, you know, it's yeah. like in, in labor, <laughs> they're like, I'm never doing this again. And then they forget about that pain because that child is worth going through the pain. Uh, I yeah. was talking to someone once and they said, Brian, you're so negative. You always talk about how you just can't wait to get out of here. You know, are you, you're just throwing your life away. You're not appreciating this. And I said, none of that is true. I'm just acknowledging that this is hard. I got a degree in chemical engineering. That was the hardest four years of my life in terms of studying and stuff. It was, it was awful that I wouldn't go back and do that again for anything. But I did it because I knew that that degree would set me up for a career. I knew that 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 I had to go through that. So I I paid money to go there and be tortured. And I'm like, maybe <laughs> it's like that when we come here, right? Yeah. We're like, yeah, I'll I'll do that. I will do that because I'm going to get that advanced degree. And so, you know, there's some people here that are in kindergarten and they're just like yeah. bopping along. And there's some of us here that are saying, you know, I'm going for my PhD. Yes. That's a very good way of putting it. Yeah. That's that feels about right. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's what works for me. I mean, it's it's different for everybody. I have another friend who says we don't come here to learn. Well, we don't all come here to learn, but some of us I think do. I think some of us say, Yeah, give me that. I'm gonna I'm gonna sign up for that. Um, and I've I've wow, I've seen people that you know been through a lot more than more than we would ever think about, you know, loss of multiple children, divorces, mm-hmm. homes burning down you know, loss of a spouse, all to the same person. And I I look at those people now, I'm like, what a warrior. That's why it's like, what, what a warrior. Whereas other people look at them and go, what bad luck. Gosh, Mm -hmm. why does, why do bad things happen to good people? Mm -hmm. And that just doesn't really work for me. I have to think, well, they signed up for it. And, and, you know, how brave. But, but I do think there might be an element of when we're over on the other side, it, oh, yeah, I can do that. And that'd be great. And you perhaps, maybe you've got your spirit guide going, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? Um, I Yeah. But I do think it's important to acknowledge the parents who don't have the beliefs that we're talking about here mm-hmm. and aren't. Um, are stuck in their grief Mm. because it is hard and I wouldn't want anyone to sort of look at us even and you know and kind of think oh well 
they're doing much better. I don't feel I'm doing that. So you might, but I, I really don't feel I'm doing that well. But I think it's important to have role models and think, yeah, maybe I, I can, I can, you know, it'll get easier and whatever. But I think it's important to acknowledge that this is just as awful as it is. I think Megan Devine, you know, the um, writer Megan Devine. Not familiar with her now. She's written a book called "It's Okay That You're Not Okay." Oh yes, I think okay. she said she starts off the, her book by saying, "This really is as bad as you think." Mm-hmm. So going back to the toxic positivity, I think it's you know I think she's one end of the scale, and then there are you know the books which are just a little bit towards toxic positivity, and I kind of like to be somewhere in the middle. Acknowledge that this is horrendous. Grief is just terrible but that there is a little bit of hope and yeah it's not just this and it's for oh. possibly for a higher purpose eventually it, the thing is both things can be true at the same time <laughs> this yes. life sucks and it's yeah. tough and it's brutal but on the other hand it's short and it's beautiful and we are benefiting from it and both yeah. things are true. And so our our challenge is to be able to shift that mindset when we get down. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I do. I mean, literally every day I have these thoughts. And it's then it's being able to shift that mindset to say, what's the long term thing here? You know, what's what's the long term effect? Why am I here? Why am I still here? And and understand there's a purpose. And so. Yeah, there are people that don't have that belief in that. And that's fine i'm i'm here to try to offer people like okay this is why i believe it and this is why it works for me you people are certainly free to choose to say this is a random universe bad things just happen to people and if that works for you and if that's the way you see the evidence then that's okay but i'm I'm here to offer a, an altered point of view to people yeah. and, and 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 why you know, even in your own, even in our own lives, you know, I, I'm 60 years old, 61 years old now. Um, I look back at things that happened in my past and thought, that's horrible. You know, that's, I, I've been fired from a job twice. You know, I've been divorced. I've, I've been through, I've been through stuff. We've all been through stuff. But it's always worked out eventually, you know, even, even in this short period of time that I see now. So when I look forward and I say, my daughter passing away. How might that be beneficial? Can I even see the possibility um, of, of something good that can come out of that? So yeah, that's just the hope you need to hold on to, I think. Yeah, I think so. But I like what you say about both can be true. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. can be terrible and amazing. It can be, yeah, it'd be two things at once. Yeah, so I, you know, <laughs> back to your book, I, I love the fact that you do talk about that, that, early that first year grief because a lot of people we don't often get that insight we often people hold that to themselves and then when we go through it and we're having these physical symptoms like you said and and i had too um we're like something's wrong with me something's off this isn't this isn't normal but all those things are normal they're not we don't all have all the things but those things are normal yeah and i think people um, a lot of books on grief are um, not written by people who've had the experience. Right. Um, another reason I wrote the book is I read and I found 
reading books by bereaved mothers really helpful but they were all the ones I read written by um, bereaved mothers in the US and sometimes I wanted a few uh, that was great and it worked yeah, for me yeah. and, and vice versa I hope I hope people in you know in America will read my book as well but there were occasional references or resources that I thought oh I I just felt it, there was a bit of a gap in the market for a, a British uh, bereaved mother. Um, so that's another reason why I wrote it. But I, I do think the lived experience is what I just want people to read the book and go and just think, yeah, I felt like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my heart beat out of my chest for days. I didn't sleep for two weeks and just kind of feel a bit of relief that they can identify what I'm talking about. And then if there are a few things later in the book where they might try a few things to just ease the path a bit, then that's, that's what I'm, that's my, my goal really. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that outline. I love that, you know, that you said, you know, cause you, you talk about the experience and I, my thing is I, well, I tell people I'm trying to normalize this, right. I'm trying to normalize yeah. whatever it is you're going through grief. I'm trying to normalize this spiritual. I don't like the word spiritual perspective, but this perspective that we are whole people who have, who are eternal, who came here for a reason and, and all these yeah. things that happen to you, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's not, it's, it's the toughest place in the universe possibly be. That's what people say about earth, but there's, it's serving some purpose. It's serving some greater purpose and you can either find, per, you can, you can believe the purpose is there or you can make purpose out of it. You've chosen to make purpose out of it. You you said, okay, I'm going to take all this training I've had, which I believe prepared you for this. And then, yeah. and then, and then Harry's passing is the catalyst that starts the reaction that launches you to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what we have to do. <laughs> yeah. But it, it would be great. I mean, I just really hope that it, it will help other people like the books I read helped me. If you find the right book for you, it makes a difference, particularly if you can't find a bereavement counsellor or trauma therapist at that moment in time. Books, I think, can be amazing. Yes, I think they, they can be amazing for the reasons that we that we just you know outlined yeah. there, um, because humans. We feel alone in our grief. Um, yeah, you know, no matter how many people are around us, no matter, you know, whether we have a spouse, you know, whatever, it's, it's a very lonely thing. It, you feel like you, you know, you're the only one that's ever been through this. You're the only one that can understand it. You feel like, and I love you said, you know, you said, I thought my life was over because I, I still remember one day I was driving my car. I was, I was just starting to listen to podcasts after Shana passed because I hadn't really listened to much before. And this author came on. She was she was promoting a book. Her name is Donna Visaki. And I think it was called Meet Me at the Bottom of the Mountain. Her daughter had passed away. And the thing that caught my attention more than anything was she said, I was standing on the on the curb and I was I felt like stepping out in front of a bus. There's a bus going by. And I just wanted to step out in front of the bus and end it all. And the mm-hmm. fact that she was willing to admit that, I was like, I have to get that book because yeah, I that's what I felt. And, you know, and we we're embarrassed yeah. to say that yeah. in public, but. Well, it's funny it to say me. that. Yes, I, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I haven't mentioned that yet. But I do talk about how I just didn't want to be here. Mm-hmm. I didn't actively want to do anything, but I did not want to be here. I wanted it to be over. 
And I think we do need to normalize that for bereaved parents and anyone else. We must open it out, I guess, to um, not just bereaved parents, but absolutely, I think that's so important to normalize and not to be ashamed of. And I write about it very openly. I mean, my book is brutally honest. It's quite dark in places, but I hope there's also the light. But I think we have to have the dark to see the light. So I'm not going to shy away or dress it up as um, uh, as something it's not. I went to very dark places, you know, uh, and obviously you did as well. I, and I think most bereaved parents, maybe not all of them, but a lot do. And some stay there for longer, you know, than others. Yeah, and it's you know, I, and again, I've talked to enough of them that I know that people have stood yeah. in the kitchen with a knife to their wrist. You know, again, mm. not so much planning to do it, but just like, what if? What, what if? You know, what if I just ended this all right here and so just end the people, pain? Yeah, and I and so when I when people talk about suicide, I'm like, some people say I don't understand it. I'm like, I do understand it. I I do understand yeah, that too. temptation. It's I understand it's. It's usually a momentary thing that if you can get through that moment, you'll be okay. Um, but some people do act in that moment. And I think it's, it can help people build strength to know a lot of us go through that. A lot of us go through those moments. And, and maybe most of us go through those moments. Most of us just don't talk about it. Where it's like, yeah, yeah I just I just went out. Um, but Yeah. Well, I, I talk about it and I think I'm so glad you brought it up, actually, because it didn't occur to me, but but I'm so glad you brought it up. This is so important. If anyone is listening to this and they they feel that, then we can go, well, we're still here. but We know how it feels. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and I hadn't felt like that in my life before, but I did. And it wasn't just on one occasion. You know, it comes around again, but I'm still here and you're still here. So mm-hmm. I hope people will but it, it just gets so it's so painful that you just want it to stop and you yeah. want to be with your child right. you know you want to be with your child right and and that's you know there's a couple things going on because you do want the pain to end which is normal human biological behavior our bodies are designed evolved to avoid pain and to go towards pleasure so when we're in yeah. pain we'll do anything to stop it whether it's emotional yeah. pain or physical pain so that's normal to want to stop it um, the other thing as a parent, you always want to be with your children. You always want to make sure your children are safe and protected. And when you're when you have a child on the other side, it sets up this dilemma for you where it's like, I either have to choose to be here with my other loved ones, my other children, mm-hmm. my other child, or be there. And I can't be in both places. So it puts you in an impossible situation. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Yeah, so, but important to normalize, definitely. Right, right. And not to end on that, because we can, and as you've done, develop that relationship with our children on the other side. And it's not the same, but we can have both for a while yeah. while we continue yeah. our walk here. Yes, very well put. Exactly that. That's what we hold on to. <laughs> so, Don't yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm really, um, I'm glad for this conversation i'm i'm glad for your book i know there's a great place for it um i know it, you know it's it's not just the memoir which is always interesting and helps people not feel as alone but also some practical things that people can do um to you know to um strengthen ourselves as we go through the grief yeah. i mean we, we can't to survive. yeah to survive yeah, yeah. 
So remind yeah. me, remind everybody again, it'll be in the show notes, but sometimes people are yeah. listening with the so, guy. Love Untethered. Um, it's out on Friday in the in the UK and in the US on the 1st of December. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, where you are, I think anywhere where you can get a book online, you should be able to get it. Um, so yeah, and I have a, a website. Uh, my author website is vanessamay.co.uk and I'm on Instagram, which is at uh, may.wellbeing. Anyone wants to connect with me on there. Awesome. Vanessa, thank you so much for being here. And thank well, thank you, you for, for having me. Here. Yeah. Thank you for what you're doing to help other parents and other people in general. You don't have to have, have the loss of a child. Any, you know, I was, I was in something the other day. I was actually interviewing a, a, a young man and he's like, so about illness he had in his, in his early life and divorce and, you know, drug addiction in the family and, you know, et cetera. He goes, I haven't lost a child though. And I'm like, but you had a lot of loss. That's all grief. All those things are grief. So we can't really compare each other's grief. We've all, we've all had trauma. We've all had suffering. So I think this book could help anybody that's gone through any type of trauma. Yeah. Hopefully. Fingers yeah. crossed. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for being here. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Hey there, if you like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you liked. If you didn't like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you didn't like. Go to grieftogrowth.com slash community and look for talk about the podcast. I'll see you there.